Hey everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Embodied Business Podcast. I'm having this really beautiful Thursday morning and I just did some breath work and was thinking of you, which I know sounds weird and abstract, but I just mean you as a listener and how much I appreciate this community and how much it has helped me to move closer and closer to a life that really makes me happy on so many levels. We had a really beautiful call in the um, in the livelihood community, which used to be called EBC, last night, and we talked about money. And I woke up this morning feeling really grateful that I had this chance to share some of my own money story, including some money story numbers and shame, and how transformative that kind of honesty I think can be. And that's not to say that. It fixes everything or, you know, that it takes away the real financial hardship that some of us are experiencing. But I'm just really excited to have these conversations and to bring kind of more attention and intention and softness to them. So I want to share some of that with you here as well. And I'm calling this episode Embracing Upper and Lower Limits because that's something that's been really liberating to me. I think conventionally in the online business world or in the world of manifestation we we often talk about upper limits being a bad thing and we don't talk about lower limits so much and I think really thinking intentionally about both these ends of the spectrum of where you're navigating your life financially is really important. We have these money workshops in the BC about every three months and I really think they're my favorite part, to be honest, because it's just so um, important to be with other people in that process of untangling kind of our own stories, our own experiences, the hardship and difficulty that we experience around this stuff and how it, you know, causes anxiety and all kinds of other feelings. Um, And as we open these sessions, I always say that I invite us to remember that there is no perfect way of doing pricing accessibility, bookkeeping, money under capitalism. And I hope that in a way that takes away a little bit of the pressure to come up with this one perfect solution because of course in this space we want to um, kind of support each other in, in coming up with really tangible plans of what we want to do to build a livelihood that is sustainable to us. And, um, and we need to recognize that the problems that we're running into are most of the time structural issues that we're experiencing and that we can look at ourselves and we can ask really important questions about how we're handling this and if we're really making the most of the resources and the um, choices that we have available to us but also remembering that beyond that we are also humans and we're operating within a very imperfect system, uh, with a, you know, with ads with odds that are often stacked against us. So I think that's important to say. Another thing I always say is that um, I really want us and appreciate us talking about how in our businesses we can move towards economic justice and how we can make our work more accessible to as many people as possible. Always, you know, to to anyone really that wants to be involved in our work in some way, 
And I really love that the internet and the new tools and technologies that we have allow us to do things like sliding scales or scholarship spots or pay what you can situations. And um, I appreciate that both from a technology point of view in that, you know, like technically in an online shop, you can set something up where people can pay in installments or that you can give them discounts. And that's not something that's always been possible, right? Like that is relatively new. But I also appreciate socially that um, technologies have allowed us to have more conversations about this, about what it means to want to be part of something or part of a community or meet a need or learn something, um, but not being able to because you just don't have the disposable income. And another thing I really appreciate is that the way that we can now much more easily create our own content allows us to share free resources with anyone. Like, as you know, I love podcasting so much. I hope that by listening, you received something of value here. Um, but that's just one example, right? I also offer free workshops. I love zines. I just love people breaking down barriers to media production and doing their own thing. And I think that is good for everyone. And I think that's important for liberation. All right. So I know that the flip side of that can also be that we feel pressured to, you know, make our work accessible at all costs or to create a ton of free content in order to be visible on Instagram, for example, or to never turn someone away for lack of funds and that is actually something that I really hold dear to my heart and that I want to embody. If someone emails me, so far I've not had to say, no, I can't, I can't do that for you or can't be in this exchange. Um, I've always been able to find a way. Um, but that wasn't true in the beginning of my business. And, um, you know, that is true now because I am more financially stable um, and privileged in many ways. Um, give me one second. I'm just going to help my dog. Um, <clears throat> all right. Okay. So one of the questions that I shared in the workshop last night was, do you know what you need? And it always surprises me, but also kind of not surprises me at all that that is really hard for people to name. And I share a sheet, um, as part of the EBC, the livelihood community where, you can fill in in, an, in, a, in a pastel Excel sheet kind of what your monthly uh, private expenses are, what your business expenses are, what's currently coming in and what you wish was coming in. And I, I really think that is such important work to do and it doesn't take very long, but it can bring up so much resistance, right? Like you can, you can put that sheet together in 20 minutes, but it might take you a year, you know? That's totally normal. I did not know those numbers in the first two years of my business. I had vague ideas for sure of how much I was roughly spending in my business. I had an Excel sheet, but it wasn't really accurate. You know, I didn't really tend to it enough. And I was leaving questions open, for example, because I charged in US dollars. I didn't always translate that into the currency that I was operating in locally at the time. And so there was like a sense of fuzziness, both on what I was making and also what I was really needing. And I think the reason we sometimes don't know what we really need is because it's really 
vulnerable to say, this is what I need to feel safe and to recognize that maybe right now that's not yet where you are and that's not your fault, right? But what can you do to come closer to that feeling of safety and stability in yourself and in your work? Um, yeah, and I think what I encourage people to do when they think about what they need is also to allow themselves a little bit of wriggle room to think beyond their most immediate day-to-day -day needs because I would ideally love to live in a system where where risks are kind of managed collectively. So I had accident insurance, for example, when I had an accident and I'm so grateful I did. It really made a massive difference in my life. Um, it helped me to meet this huge change in my life with kind of a little bit more grace and patience with myself. I can invest in my healing and I can kind of fill those gaps that my um, state health insurance isn't covering sometimes. It's not that I'm having private sessions all the time. Um, I certainly, you know, I would love to have more physiotherapy right now. Um, but I can, you know, I can make ends meet basically in my healthcare and, and I'm so grateful. And I wish that this isn't something that shouldn't be something that we're managing as an individual. I wish that we had the capacity and the resources to come together and really, you know, um, think about how we can meet those needs and manage them as, as a community rather than individually. And, and leaving no one behind in that process. Anyway, I, I feel myself getting on another tangent here, so I want to come back to this sheet and figuring out what you really need. What I've been trying to say here is that I think we need to think about our long-term goals as well. So yes, we need to meet our most immediate needs right now. That might be paying your rent or paying your bills or getting food on the table. But we also need to think about health insurance that we might need. We need to think about getting to a place where we can pay ourselves sick pay, where we can take time off without that being a big struggle and um, because every everyone deserves time off. And we are getting older, we need to think about retirement as well, which I want to be totally honest is also new to me. It's new to me as in being able to even think about that is new to me in the last two years. Um, but... It is important. And if you don't want to do this yourself, I, I would just invite you to, you know, find an evening or a morning, whatever, where you feel rested and resourced and to light a candle, make a nice tea, just sit your ass down with that sheet and write down what you need, what you're spending in your life and your business right now and what you're currently making and then make a dream sheet about what you wish you were making and also break it down into different income streams most people I know do different things in their business. You might be selling products, you might be having one-off sessions as an offer, you might be offering courses and really hold that vision and break down how much you want to make from each of those channels, how much time that's going to take you to, to offer that um, and how that's going to play out in your ideal scenario on in your week. You know, how much are you going to work a week? How much are you going to earn? Um, and how is that going to, you know, spread across those different channels? Another question I've asked is, how is your income affecting your confidence? And I would again, like kind of invite you to meet that question with as little judgment as possible. I know that's hard, but 
just have a think about this. Really be honest with yourself. You know, how are you feeling about what you're making? When you're meeting family members, for example, that you haven't seen in a while, and they ask you, how's your business going? How is that feeling in your body? What's coming up when they say that? And I want you to know that many people feel shame or disappointment or nervousness or any of those feelings, right? So you're definitely not alone feeling that way. I promise you. I have felt that way for many years. And I think in the beginning, and and those are memories actually that only come up since the workshop yesterday, which I think is so interesting. I had kind of like repressed them a little bit, I guess. But I really remember um, this feeling of shame in the first two years of my business where I didn't have an Excel sheet, I didn't have a great bookkeeping system, but I had this little yellow notebook and I would often do more of like a cash flow snapshot rather than a long-term vision. So I would write down what I was expecting would come in in the next two weeks and then what I was needing to pay in the next two weeks in terms of bills and uh, rent and all that and how, you know, how would that pan out basically. And often... I would be paid and I would not even go into the plus in my bank account. I would just go back to zero because um, in my 20s for a long time, I was really living in my overdraft. So I would, you know, like spend money, go deeper into my overdraft, be paid and then go back to zero rather than going into the plus. And there, there are many reasons for that. Um some of which surely are structural. I didn't come from money. I've never received savings from my family. I um, I funded my first degree myself by working full-time and um, studying via part-time distance studies, and that built up a lot of debt for me. I um, had really shitty jobs that weren't right for me because I didn't have the capacity to really know myself, to understand my neurodivergence and how I wasn't suited to working in like a big, busy, open plan office. And I also made choices like moving abroad, living in lots of different places, experimenting with education, um, experimenting with myself. I don't regret any of those choices as such, but I want to take responsibility for the fact that I could have paid more attention to my money sooner in my life. And I could have, you know, met the fact that maybe I didn't have a lot of support to begin with with more compassion instead of just feeling ashamed of being in my overdraft and letting that shame kind of keep me stuck in in a kind of restlessness and inability to move forward in a more responsible way. So a lot of both end there, I would say. One, someone in the workshop yesterday asked me how I shifted from kind of living client to client, which is another way of saying paycheck to paycheck, to having annual plans and holding these bigger visions. And I shared a few numbers um, in the workshop and I want to share them here as well because I think it is awkward. I feel awkward saying them out loud. I already feel nervous now. but But I think, like I said, it is really important and I don't want this to sound like a Rex to riches story because I think often those are utilized in quite harmful ways. Um, I'm, I'm not meaning to say, oh, you know, if I can do it, then anyone can do it and you just have to confront your whatever because it is so much more complicated than that. But I also 
want to say that I am a person who has, you know, I have, for example, in 2014, funny memory that came up yesterday, I was, um, I was a student in 2014, I went back to university, um, and I had funding for um, study fees, and then for, I think I received like 350 pounds a month, so I had to earn the rest, um, that was a living cost grant, as it was called at the time, and I, I loved that program, again, a big privilege to have that education, it was such a beautiful year, but I was also really struggling to make ends meet and to be full-time at university for the first time in my life and hold down this other these other jobs that I was doing. And I remember living in this house share, um, which I actually really loved there. I was really lucky with that one. I was unlucky in lots of other ones. Anyway, I remember looking for change in my room and really like taking up all the pillows and looking behind all these different things to find change because I was so broke and I just wanted to go to the corner shop to buy a tin of baked beans basically. And I think there was money coming in probably the week after or something or within a few days. So it wasn't like I was starving, but it was such a humbling moment, you know, and I think that's something that kind of stays in our bodies in some way, having to really dig around your room to find change, to buy a tin of baked beans. This was not my greatest moment. Um, but I, I also think that those experiences kind of gave me like a pragmatism sometimes that maybe is annoying to people for sure. Like I have a self-consciousness sometimes that maybe people think I'm not radical enough or that I'm compromising too much by charging anything. And, um, and there is this part of me that really wants to hold these very far out visions of community care and um, economic justice and reparations and healing on a collective level and us having livelihoods that really work for us in the long term that make us happy that give us resources to to do good work in the world and then there's also this part of me that's like fuck it I'm just gonna put food on the table I will never be hungry again I've promised this to my inner child and that's what I'm doing and I will do whatever it takes I will be podcasting for years I will be posting on Instagram every day for years and then leave social media because it was too much you know I will just do whatever it takes this is what I'm here to do end of story basically all right so coming to my actual numbers now in the depth of my debt I was owing 30,000 36,000 pounds which is about 40,000 dollars and that was a combination of credit card loans, a business loan I had because I had I started my business without savings. It was tax that I owed because I wasn't current with my taxes. Um, it was a loan that I had received from <clears throat> a lesbian couple that I donated X to in order to buy a piece of land in Portugal. I don't have that land anymore and there is a whole other conversation about that, about why I bought that, what my ideas were at the time, how I wasn't reflecting enough on what it meant to go there as an outsider. Um, this was 
really, really cheap, affordable, abandoned farmland, by the way, with no house on it. Um, but I, I was thinking that maybe I would live there in a caravan um, or in some kind of like home-built house. And I, I think, I, I don't want to say that that was a bad idea as such. I think I was naive in that I didn't recognize further disability as a real possibility in my life and that has come to be now. I could physically not live in that way now. And, and also there were other naiveties, like I don't speak Portuguese. I, um, I, I'm not really culturally a part of that community. And um, I, I needed to have thought more about whether gentrification was happening. I knew that in that region there was a real problem with population decline and that lots of other people were moving there who had online businesses. Um, but again, there's surely much more context to that. Um, so yeah, so that is how those 36K came together and it felt like such a huge, unimaginably hard number to me at the time. And I was repaying as much as I could, as fast as I could. And that really kind of weighed me down because it meant that I was constantly in the first few years of my business in this cycle of just about making ends meet and everything that came in just kind of going straight into bills or into my loans. And it was hard in that way to kind of even be engaged in a long-term vision because everything was so immediate, right? And... Um, I think about three years in and I'm I'm in my eighth year now so this is like this is not an overnight fix basically uh, I think in my third year I was kind of beginning to make headway and beginning to be able to drop the shame enough to sit down with those extra sheets and really make a plan um, that was more of a long-term vision I think there were two milestones that were really financially important to me the first one was that a few years back, I made 37k that year in profit. And it was a, an intense year. I worked a lot. I worked. I did a lot of web design projects, bigger ones. I facilitated programs. I had my Patreon. And I repaid a lot of my debt that year. And it felt really liberating. And I think, interestingly, number-wise, there was something significant about earning just a little bit more than I was in debt that year so it, you know if I didn't have any living costs if I didn't have to pay any tax I could have repaid and gone back to zero basically uh, and that's not what happened <laughs> you know spoiler um, but the other the significant thing that happened was that in 2020 I uh, sold the piece of land that I had um, kind of like leveling out like I didn't make a win or a loss on that but I it meant that because I had repaid part of that loan, I had a little bit of cash. And then um, in the autumn that year, I was able to buy a home in Scotland. And I got a mortgage and I had a 10% deposit. And I had this really beautiful, very small one-bedroom flat in a little town um, that I liked a lot. And I really loved that place so much. I was imagining uh, growing old there. I was opening to other possibilities. I know life, you know, hardly ever works out that way, but I I could have seen myself growing old there. And I had an accident at the top of the stairs of that flat in December on New Year's Eve. Actually, New Year's Eve, twenty twenty. 
I slipped on black ice and I fell down the stairs in a really unfortunate way. Like I've fallen over many times. I am pretty clumsy, but I broke my my leg so severely that I still am and always will be um, to some extent um, disabled and very limited in my mobility. And luckily I had accident insurance at the time. So I got a lump sum payout and that helped me to firstly take a breather, um, covered those periods that I spent in hospital yesterday. I had another surgery in the summer and just take it much more easy overall and then also repay the rest of my debt. And I cannot tell you how liberating that was and is. This is still something that I think about almost every day. It wasn't much left at that time, but just to clear the rest of it was really beautiful. Um, and it meant also, of course, that because I no longer had those monthly repayments, my living costs kind of dropped down and that meant more freedom to explore and be creative in my business and experiment with different things. And uh, I had to sell that flat because it's on the first floor and I wasn't able to do stairs anymore. So I have now bought another flat, which is on the ground floor um, and which I love so much as well. It still feels new to me, but... Um, it is just gorgeous. I really love it here. And it's really, um, you know, yes, it is a really big privilege, but it's also, a, you know, it, it's just really reasonable. It's a small one bedroom flat in a Victorian terrace that's been converted. It cost me £65,000. My mortgage is £450. And that means that I will have repaid it in 10 years time. So in my 40s, which I'm really excited for because I think that will allow me, um, you know, to lo lower my living costs even more and just have even more freedom in how I do my work and what I'm able to offer. And yeah, so now you know some of my numbers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I, I currently earn quite a lot less than I used to because I work less in time. I have less capacity due to my disabilities to you know, work long days every day. Um, and I had income protection, so I receive a partial disability pension at this time. And I do need to earn on top of that. I'm not, you know, like I'm not free of the need to earn money, <clears throat> but it isn't as tense anymore as it used to be. And um, yeah, I, I want to come to <laughs> 26 minutes into this episode to this part of like upper and lower limits. And I think I, I found it really peaceful for me to define my lower limits. So I want to have safe and accessible housing. I want to have healthy food. I want to have the care I need. And sometimes that means, means paying someone or doing something that at the time felt a bit over outrageous to me. So for example, when I, when I came home from hospital a second time last year, I was a little bit more prepared for what it meant to be home by myself recovering in lockdown or with very limited ability to see people and so I had a cleaner come around a few times last summer when I really wasn't able to even stand and I just wanted a really nice you know clean tidy home to recover in and I also got Meals on Wheels which is a service you can book through our local council if you're too sick or in any way unable to cook for yourself uh, you can get your warm lunch delivered every day and I was joking about that at the time that I was like in my mid-30s getting meals on wheels and 
I, I do think I felt some shame both about needing that service and about spending the money for it but I really couldn't stand up in my kitchen even to heat up something up I was in so much pain and I think it's interesting now to think about how it brought up this kind of compartmentalization in my head because I was like in one ways I'm running these two businesses I'm holding these spaces for other people I am teaching online I maybe appear successful in some ways to some people and yet I cannot freaking make my own lunch you know but I think it shouldn't be that way it shouldn't be that shouldn't be a contradiction people can do things in all kinds of weird and different and beautiful ways that work for them and I celebrate that and I also felt it was really helpful to define an upper limit because I want us to hold those lower limits those needs that we claim without shame because they shouldn't be extraordinary right they shouldn't be privileges those should be things that everyone has access to and Often in online marketing spaces, there's this narrative of like, you know, if only do you do your mindset work or if only you have better thoughts or manifest more um, and utilize the law of attraction, whatever, in a better way, then you can have unlimited abundance and riches. And I'm not against encouraging people to think bigger at all. I really think abundance is a beautiful thing. And it shows up in so many incredible ways. Like I feel abundance in my garden, being around plants. I feel abundance in my relationship. I feel abundance in my ability to rest right now. And I'm so grateful for that. I think it's a problem when abundance is limitless consumerism. If it's stuff that's harmful to ourselves, each other, the planet, like flying first class, having a property portfolio on stolen land, you know, <laughs> flying, you know, endlessly flying our avocados around the world. That stuff is harmful. And romanticizing that as something that you can buy once you've built your business to a certain point is just bullshit, I think. So, but when you don't, you know, when when you think you're reaching for more, but you don't really know what that means, then you're kind of stuck in the cycle of never being quite good enough, like always being in a growth cycle. And if we look at our bodies and the seasons and the landscape, we know that we can't always be growing. It can't always be summer. There are periods of rest and winter and letting things now die down. And, um, and that's beautiful. It's part of life, right? So, for me identifying those upper limits means that I know I don't always need to grow I know there will be long stretches of time where I'm leaning back a little bit more and I'm just like looking at the work that I've done feeling pleased with myself and enjoying that and not always reaching for the next thing um and just letting things be good you know just letting things be good and allowing yourself to chill so I can say with certainty that I don't need extra bedrooms. I am, I'm happy to let my guests sleep in my living room as long as I can close the door to my own bedroom. That's all good, right? I also don't need additional homes. I don't think that I need to be a landlord. I am not a fan of landlords in general. I think that we need access to housing that's accessible and safe. No one needs a property portfolio, basically. I personally also don't feel like I need a car to myself and that's partially because of where I live and because of not having kids. 
I don't have a license and I think it would probably be good for me to be able to drive and share a car with other people, but I don't feel that I need one for myself. I also don't need to have a huge amount of savings in my account. I need an amount of savings that makes me feel I can meet emergencies with grace and needs to feel that I can be sick and give myself sick pay, that I can, uh, you know, if my washing machine breaks down, it's not an issue. It, I just need to feel that there's wiggle rooms for those things in life that just happen. But I don't feel that I need enormous amounts of money beyond that. And I, I say that also to contextualize, like sometimes there's this narrative of like, you know, someone will say, and, and I say this because I have been in those kinds of online group programs where you're meant to be taught about money and your limits and whatever. So sometimes maybe I would say something like, you know, but I don't need more than that. And someone will say, but that's just a limiting belief because if you had millions, then you could just redistribute it, right? You could just give it to charity, to things you believe in, and the world would be a different place if women that was the narrative in that particular group, if women had more millions, if there were more female millionaires. And I get that thinking to some extent, but I think that, especially for us as white people, we should question whether it really the power needs to be with us to decide where that money gets redistributed. So yes, of course you can say, I'm open to, you know, earning unlimited amounts of money because I can always pass them on. That's true, right? I think that's true. You could, for example, you know, what something that could happen to many of us is like you might have an evergreen on your website, like a, a $50 product um, that anyone can buy in unlimited numbers. And then by, by winning the online marketing lottery, someone on social media who's like a really big deal with millions of followers reshare something that you said and then thousands of people buy this thing and then you have these millions in your account of course you can be open to that and you can redistribute them but I wonder if we really need to make it a goal to become millionaires in order to give that money to charity because I think that redistribution and the economic justice and the repair work that we have to do um, as colonizers as white people isn't in our you know how that funding will be used isn't for us to decide and I think that applies you know to race of course but also to disability um to all kinds of other um oppression that people have experienced and I think I'm, I'm like saying yes redistribution is very important but I think what that will look like is something that we need to navigate and figure out together and I don't think that we need to as individuals think about becoming millionaires in order to make that happen I want all of us to make that happen together basically all right I um I also don't feel as another as another upper limit that I embrace I don't feel that I need to do international travel every year Having a real break from any kind of travel in the pandemic really made me think about how I used to travel and how I valued that and whether that's a priority for me right now. My sister has committed to not flying anymore and I really respect that. I'm not quite there because I do want to go back to Germany and physically it's not going to be possible for me to travel overland the way I used to. I used to take the ferry and the train and 
yeah so I don't know what that looks like now but I have been really lucky to travel to the Hebrides with my dad last week by train and I cannot tell you what a beautiful enchanting experience that was the Hebrides are so gorgeous those white sandy beaches the mountains the waterfalls I was frequently blinking away tears because I was just so touched and I I know that there's so much more to me for me to explore here where I am by train um so that's just not you know like flying around the world it's just not something that feels very important to me if I visit another far away place then I really want to go for an extended period of time and I really want to have time to integrate that to be fully present there to contextualize it to make the most of it and I also don't want to go to fancy restaurants, right? I, I noticed in the pandemic that I love not cooking. I love getting a takeaway, but it's just not important to me. And I think sometimes when we portray business success, we think it means those things like going to the spa every week or going to the restaurant every week. And I really enjoy, you know, looking at what I really actually want. And it's not going to a fancy restaurant and sitting down in a noisy environment to eat feed food that I don't know, that's kind of weird and fancy. I just want to get nice pizza <laughs> to my house to eat on a sofa that's gluten-free and vegan so I can actually digest it. So yeah, that's what I want. I know myself. So anyway, I really hope that in, in good and in maybe difficult ways, listening to all of this has brought some stuff up for you. I hope that you feel encouraged to love yourself and forgive yourself in that engagement with money to hold bigger visions to trust that it's possible even if it's hard that you feel that are resources that are available to you um and that you yeah that you keep doing the thing thank you for listening i know this is a long episode and i really appreciate the space to share what's been up for me there are many um, announcements business-wise from me. I am taking a sabbatical from web design from August to go to back to grad school. I'll keep offering free workshops. I don't have a schedule at the moment, but I will announce that on my newsletter. And the Livelihood community will open back up in September. So if you want to be part of those conversations, get on the wait list. It's a beautiful group of people and we're really changing things for ourselves so it would be great to have more people there bye <laughs>